Hi everyone. Since this is the last episode of season one, I wanted to take a minute to just say a few things. First of all, thank you for listening. I really do appreciate every last person who has listened to this podcast. I'm just really excited to be building a community around this topic. And I've learned so much more than I ever imagined I could have. So it's been really expansive. Um, the way that I define the parameters of it for a topic of discussion, the way that I understand it, um, which in turn expands the way that I see it as playing a part really in everyone's lives. Um, We were all teenagers at one point, and loss really can mean so many things. It could be a traumatic event, which results in the loss of innocence. It could be the loss of the family unit through separation or divorce, or it could be just so many kinds of losses, the loss of a home, the loss of security. So I think it's a point of our lives that we often kind of brush away because we don't want to think about it because there was a lot of pain that didn't get addressed. So I think this idea of going back and looking at what happens during adolescence and those losses and how we dealt with them and how our support system either made space for us to have feelings or didn't um, is something that we can all relate to. So I'm really excited to share this episode because I'm talking with my 21-year-old daughter, Grace, about all the ways, big and small, that she's grieved and the evolution of her understanding of grief. So After this episode, I am going to be taking some time off, probably about a month or so, to organize a list of guests, some of whom I've already got lined up. Um, But season two is going to be, I'm going to be casting my net a lot wider and doing some promotion so I can spread the word and grow this community. So, um, so far, I've been doing all this by myself. I'm a one-man show and resisting ads because I hate them. (laughs) So please subscribe, please tell your friends and share episodes, um, and do subscribe because that way you won't miss the next season when it comes out. And if you want to support me um, monetarily, I really appreciate that. I do not have a Patreon, but I do have a Substack, and on my Substack you can subscribe. It's $30 a year, and it doesn't get you anything special um, because I really want this content to be available to anyone who needs it so you don't get anything special except knowing that you're helping support me um, to do this work which takes a lot of time and a lot of energy Um, but I'm doing it because I love it and because I think it's so important and if you want to be a guest or have suggestions for guests please reach out to me I am especially interested in teens and young adults who are open to talking about loss, but I also love talking to parents and really anyone working with kids in the grief space. So that could be teachers or relatives or um, professionals like therapists, grief counselors, um, death doulas, um, whomever um, considers themselves working with teens in grief or supporting even just one teen um, and has a story to tell. I'm always looking for people with different perspectives than my own, which is basically anyone, (laughs) but people from different parts of the world and different cultures are wonderful. I know I have listeners around the world now, which is so exciting. So those people should definitely feel free to reach out. 
and people who identify as male, since most of the people who I have spoken to so far identify as female. I've had some guys on the show, but I'm always open to, to more people who identify as male. But really anyone who likes the show and is interested in being interviewed should reach out. I'm easy to find, but I'll put some links in the show notes. If you're on Instagram, you can find me just by searching for my name and the podcast. The link for the podcast is in, on my profile, so you'll know it's me. Lastly, I just want to express my very deep gratitude to Josephine Wiggs for the music. I usually only play a very small portion of this song, but in this episode, I included the whole thing. Um, so please enjoy this song, Time Does Not Bring Relief, from her album, We Fall. straight to the computer uh-huh. and then now you're plugging in so you can hear yes i can tell it's like i hear moving waves do you want me to help you <laughs> yeah okay perfect <coughs> hi i'm ann Faison. And this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> this could be a problem. <laughs> Let me try that again. Understanding Adolescent Grief. Beautiful. And I'm Ann Faison, joining my daughter, Grace Muller, for this interview. Whew. Just had super laughing with this, trying to get that done. And that's funny, because we just do. We make each other laugh a lot. So hopefully this will be a fun interview, a fun conversation. Um, so this is the last episode of the season after a full year of making this podcast and I thought it would be great to interview you because um I ran out of guests (laughs) no um because I wanted to interview you a while ago but you're away at college and um so I thought it'd be good while you're home to 
try and get you on. Um, one reason is because, yes, I'm hard up for guests, so I just go around to my own family. <laughs> Scops has been on twice. Um, no, but really because I really value your opinion, and I think it's really interesting to talk to you about grief because it's a conversation we have in our family, but then when I ask you direct questions, I'm sure I'm going to get some interesting answers. Um, so yeah, I just want to start out by just asking, how would you describe sort of your relationship to grief or what you, what you think about grief, um, kind of in general, and then maybe talk a little bit about like your earliest kind of experience with it or what you think of as your first kind of grief experience. Mm, Okay. I would say that my relationship to grief right now is still really about learning what grief is for myself Um, because, yeah, I've grown up with you teaching me a lot about your grief and um, thinking a lot about the experience of losing a close loved one as a young person, but that I haven't had a clear-cut huge loss yet in my life and I've had a lot of like hard to categorize how I feel about losses and so I feel like I'm still learning really like what grief does to my body and like when I identify that I've lost something even if someone hasn't died like understanding how I process that mm-hmm. um I think my earliest grief experience objectively is um, the loss of Kiernan, my uh, sibling who died, um, still was stillborn, mm-hmm. who has been a subject of this podcast in the past. Through Scops' experience of being born after her, um, and I was two when she died, and I don't really remember that. Um, but I remember the years after that, I remember celebrating her birthday. I remember like looking at pictures from that time when like looking at the one picture we have of her, Mm -hmm. um, like those are some of my earliest memories. Mm. And then I never really felt directly sad about that loss until, um, I don't remember feeling directly sad about that loss until, like, maybe middle school. Hmm. Having some dreams about her and waking up really sad and then talking to you about it under the impression that it was the first time I'd ever felt sad about it. And I remember you telling me what it was like when she had just died and kind of telling me about my grief experience, like... Mm. Like, I didn't remember that we'd cried together Mm. and, like, you know, really been moving through together. And I kind of learned about my disappointment at the time. So you think you were an adolescent when we started having that conversation? Or you were younger than that? I think I was an adolescent when it sunk in for me. Okay. That I had a relationship, like, a, a long relationship to sadness about this loss. Like, I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome, I think, Hmm. around it for 
most of my childhood because we'd talk about it and I'd kind of like be trying to feel sad <laughs> <laughs> and like not really sad about it. I'm only laughing because of the face you made. Uh, yeah, like... well, it's like a little constipated. <laughs> yeah, emotionally. a little child going like, oh, trying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I really, I remember being like, I'm supposed to be sad about this, or like, you know, that would really make the movie seem good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just today was talking to a person, a therapist, uh, about how normal it is for kids to not really have feelings when they lose somebody, like, really young. And I think part of it is your whole being is geared towards growing and um the idea of somebody dying or losing someone is just kind of outside of your realm of experience so you don't really have a relationship to it so you don't really feel anything or the feelings you're having are so don't go with anything else in your life that you don't know what to do with them so they just kind of get put away yeah I'm that makes me think about how much I didn't know what I was signing up for like I I remember more clearly the lead up to scoffs being born and like the kinds of preparations I feel like you guys tried to give me for being an older sibling um but like looking back I probably really had a long drawn out version of that of like you guys multiple times kind of being like okay Grace someone's coming yeah but I really remember when scoffs was born feeling like what is this like just so unprepared like it was such a huge adjustment to add someone to my life um and you were four by then yeah and it like it took me a few years to like even really not be surprised when I thought about our family and included Scott <laughs> like, in my head yeah yeah because you'd had four years of being the only one yeah um so just yeah in terms of like I think when you're that young like the the way that you think about family or the way that you think about like the people that make up your world is kind of uh, short-sighted right I mean it's everything really yeah little family's everything I mean I think this is interesting because we've really never talked about this in this way before um I know so many families have these kinds of losses childbearing losses and often don't think about how it might be affecting the younger children um I remember just when it happened so many um people around me were surprised that we were talking about it that we were being really open with you about it so I think a lot of people I don't know what the norm is I don't I can't say like what most people do but I'm sure a lot of people just choose not to do that so um, I think it's really interesting to hear what it was like for you when we did do that. Um, I can tell you that at the time when, you know, I'd say the first year to two years really after Kiernan um, was born and Scops was born a year and a half after Kiernan. So into Scops's, um early life, we were still doing pretty regular kind of ceremonies and um, you loved them, you know, you got really into them. And it was always just kind of a, another excuse to sit down together, light a candle, put some flower petals out, whatever we did. 
Um, but you always got very excited about those kinds of things as probably any child would, you know? So I think for you, it was a kind of a joyful thing and that helped me kind of tap into the side of it that was joyful, that there was some joy to be had around kind of just recognizing that there was this, that we had love, you know, for this baby that didn't make it, you know? Yeah, I think in my life, like, that loss or that presence of her is like a lighter presence and a lighter loss Mm. Um, because of, I don't know exactly why, because of being that young, because of, like, just the circumstance. Um, And I think she gets to be, like, a really casual part of my life, like, not super present most of the time now not many people in my life really know about her Mm -hmm. I think I'm I'm still like a little bit letting go of the guilt about like not or I don't know I think I mostly have let go of the guilt around not feeling sadder Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting I think part of that is related to something I learned from interviewing somebody else about how because children are so narcissistic, naturally narcissistic, narcissistic is a survival mechanism, that they immediately misassign responsibility to anything that happens. So it's a kind of, at that age, you sort of think you're, everything is because of you. And you're sort of treated that way, in a way, by your parents and caregivers and teachers and and so when something like that happens, you kind of automatically, on some level, blame yourself, take responsibility, feel guilty. And so that can manifest in feelings of guilt over not feeling sad enough. So that's all normal. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> and I know for me, when I learn, oh, that's a thing other people feel, it's a kind of two things on the one hand it makes me feel maybe validated on another level I'm sort of like yeah but my experience is unique it's mine don't take it away from me like that's somebody (laughs) else you know it it feels like something that other people would do too Mm -hmm. like I yeah just I don't think I've thought directly about this in in a while and um I feel like my ideas about self-compassion have kind of updated since last time I really thought about it directly. Mm. And I just recognize that it's a pretty human thing to... I I've Just in other areas of my life, I've been trying to identify when I'm unnecessarily, like, judging the way that I feel about something. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, adding another layer of, like judgment about like I have the feeling and then I have the way I feel about the feeling and that second one is not necessarily helpful right so I think that applies to that Mm -hmm. early experience and I think that doesn't surprise me that that's a thing many people do because in in like zooming out it's a thing we do to ourselves a lot right so I remember a couple of instances where you really grieved a loss that might seem small but I'm talking about your 
like pencil case. Do you remember losing <laughs> your pencil case at school? Like your really beloved favorite pencil case with all your favorite pencils in it when you were in high school. Do you remember this? <laughs> yes. And I think it happened more than once. Yeah, I lost a lot of things in high school. <laughs> but to me, that first one was yeah. really quite intense. And I think we talked about it, like in terms of grief, you know, and you kind of had to, had a lot of feelings and we talked them through. And in terms of childhood and adolescence, that's, that's adolescent grief that, you know, losing something when you're a teenager, it doesn't matter what it is. Anything that is so upsetting to you that you're really distraught, you know, that's grief. It could be, it could be anything. And I think we, you know, we tend to assign grief just to the loss of a person or death, but it's not always that. It can be a lot of things. And I think when you're young, those things could seem petty or small to an adult, but to a kid, that's a big deal. Like, you know, a a small child is going to cry if they lose their favorite toy and they might be distraught for a week, you know. So I just wanted to know if you remember that and if you remember those feelings and if you remember if you like how you would think about that now. Um, okay. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I kind of can't remember exactly which time. Like I remember, um, a lot of moments of realizing I've lost something important to me. Like I, I think in high school was like when I started really commuting farther for school and commuting on my own and like for some reason yeah just being more in charge of myself and then having things I cared more about like material things I cared more about um and then yeah losing them and um I think that is really awesome to talk about in with the language of grief because it's a really particular feeling like I still can recognize in myself when I lose something or realize I don't know where something is that I care about. Um, And I do feel like I've learned how to manage it more or like had more of those experiences. Right. um, In a way that I can cycle through the stages of it a little faster. (laughs) Right. Now, um, I remember when that happened or I think the time that you're thinking about I remember really like going through each item that was in there in my head mm. and feeling like a little heartbreak for each one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not the same as losing your wallet or your phone, which is a very particular feeling too, but that's more the inconvenience. Yeah. It's a huge inconvenience nowadays to lose your phone your keys, whatever, but you don't have sort of the same emotional attachment to a set of keys or a wallet. Well, maybe a wallet depends. Um, or even a phone cause all that data is somewhere, but something you've collected that are special to you that you use, you know, you use those pencils all the time. You were constant, you were in art school. So you were like constantly using them. I think you lost them at school. Um, Scops lost his box of paints. And unfortunately, when you're at art school, if somebody finds a box of paints or a box of pencils, they're probably going to keep them. Right. <laughs> so it's a kind of a, it's a special object because you're, um, it's just, it just has a lot of layers to it. It's part of your identity. You're working with it. It 
has a kind of a certain amount of value. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. Well, you, what you're saying is making me think about another parallel, which is just like the disbelief when you lose something Mm. that matters to you. Like, uh, just the like awareness of like the fragility of having things and like the really thin line between having something you keep track of every day and misplacing it and like a little bit of a trust lost I just experience this when I lose something like I am like uh really hit by that like fragility of the fact that I remember to bring everything with me every day and like you don't really you're not paying attention when you lose something and then it's just gone yeah and you feel that guilt that you didn't care enough Right. <laughs> you didn't like you didn't pay attention to it hard enough in the moment. And I think that's such a good parallel with what happens when people die. You realize that fragility of life and you also usually feel some kind of guilt about not showing them, not saying goodbye, all these kinds of similar that's what I mean. It's like it's a kind of a, the mechanics of it are very much the same. Um I think it's just, you know, it's a lot bigger deal when somebody dies, but yeah, it's a lot of the same stuff. And I think that I I guess, I guess what's interesting to me is that because of my kind of interest in curiosity about, you know, you could say obsession with grief, you know, I was very thoughtful about talking to you or scops when you would lose something when you would have a kind of a grief experience about you know not brushing it off not saying like oh don't worry you know you'll be fine it's just a thing you know I would really try to make a lot of space for that because that's what I felt like was missing you know in my own experience not that my parents would brush me through things at all but just that with the big grief experience I had that was kind of like the general zeitgeist around me my teachers my friends and my family were all kind of like all right like let's move on you know let's not talk about her kind of which was just the way things were but I just knew kind of I've always known and I certainly knew when I was having you guys I was not going to be doing that that was kind of the opposite of what I wanted to do and I think all parents kind of do that on some level we're always trying to kind of repair what didn't happen for us or what did happen to us so I guess my question is like what is your perspective on that like would you say I'm really glad you did that or would you be like it's kind of weird you did that like my friends (laughs) have my you know like obviously not to put you on the spot but just what you what is your sort of honest kind of perspective on that is it appreciation or is it more like whatever mom it's just what it is I love this question Mm. I have a lot of answers Mm. um the first one which I was thinking about before we recorded or when I knew we were gonna do this today um I think I a symptom of that which is I would say in the neutral category is um I think I really thought about you dying at a young age in a particular way um it's not something I've really compared to other people friends who I think were parented really differently and I think it's probably pretty common at some point to kind of have it occur to you as a kid that your parent could die Mm. um but I think the fact that it happened to you 
to have a parent die, to have your mother die. And, um, I, you know, in tandem with like learning how cancer works and like learning about genetics, like, which felt like a really powerful and magical thing or like hard to understand thing of like, it's just going to happen to you because you, you know, this is in middle school or, uh, earlier, I think (laughs) Well, just like breast cancer genetic, you know, like, I don't know. I think for, for some reason for me, that was a part of it, like a scientific explanation of the likelihood, the increased likelihood. But I think what it was really about was like, just the awareness you'd instilled in me that death is always a possibility Mm. and like talking about your experience going through it. Um, I was really afraid of that for a while. I think probably when I was like eight or nine or 10, um, and you were working on a book about it and I was sometimes reading it a little bit Mm. and it'd make me really sad, um, just to try and empathize with that life experience you had and just like feel a tiny taste of like the huge fear of that Mm. um so that's one thing um which I think I just might have moved through a little differently without that awareness and I certainly never had it exactly the same way with my dad Mm. like it was really about you Mm um I don't know that's a whole yeah other relationship um another thing that comes up with that question is just like how immensely grateful I am for the way that I've learned from you to feel my emotions when I'm having them Mm. Um, really like face hard feelings and be comfortable crying really hard um, being really sad being really angry or frustrated or just dark and recognizing in that feeling that it's temporary and that it actually helps to feel into it rather than suppress it and I think you physically really helped me through a lot of hard moments as like an adolescent and yeah I think like really mostly while I was a teenager that was but probably before too mm-hmm. um that you like you were able to be there kind of bravely for my feelings and kind of model not being scared of them for me I think because of the work you'd done Mm. around your own grief um and that is just like a really valuable tool to me like I think I try and tell you that you do (laughs) um and (laughs) I it's interesting like I recently I think the the other side of that is having to kind of walk back a little bit of a like facing your feelings supremacy like having it's been less natural for me to like have compassion for other modes Mm. of moving through hard feelings Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um for myself or watching other people do it differently Mm. hard not to sort of judge yeah yeah yeah, hard not to judge people running away from feelings. And there's so many good reasons to run away sure. from your emotions. And also, like, feeling deeply into your emotions doesn't look the same for everyone. Um, but, yeah, I um, I think, like, I have been working through a grief experience this year, going through a breakup, my first breakup with someone I really 
love. Um, and it's because of the way that you raised me talking about grief that I can really understand it as a grief experience. Mm. And I'm realizing like all my tools don't really work here. <laughs> like mm. the same way. Mm. Um, what are some of your tools? I think the biggest one is just crying really, really hard mm. and like uh, screaming. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and like do it, just getting to a place of like really intense, pure emotional pain and not judging anything that comes out of that moment and kind of reveling in it and when you say don't work you mean like it doesn't it doesn't make it better yeah I think I'm used to having pencil case level (laughs) grief experiences like that is really I learned how to use that tool with continual success of like getting over the hump of whatever sadness I was feeling Mm. within one sitting um like just the day-to-day challenges of my life have generally been like something I can be sad about and then feel less sad about once I've cried. And I think in some ways this is like the biggest loss I've ever really had to deal with. And um, yeah, it just feels like a lot bigger of a what thing other, to get over. What other tools? Um, Talking to people, uh, talking really candidly about how I feel. I think I, I'm someone who really understands my emotions by articulating them out loud. And then I notice once I do that, they feel a lot better, mm-hmm. especially the kind of ugly ones mm. or yeah, just like stuff that comes out of a place of self-consciousness or insecurity. Like if I can speak that out loud, it feels a lot better mm. and just trusting that saying something doesn't have to make it more real it can like help me let go of it and not being embarrassed yeah i mean i think a big part a big tool a big piece of grief is um you know learning how to be in the world without that thing and when it's a pencil case (laughs) you know there's a easy not necessarily easy but you can somewhat replace you can start replacing and that is healing it's partly it's part of what helps you move forward is knowing well I can get another pencil it won't be the same but and I think with something much bigger like a death like a breakup like losing you know a house and a fire something really that can't be replaced and is going to affect the rest of your life um, that moving forward understanding what the future is without that is a much slower longer process and it just takes a lot more adjustment it's a huge adjustment and it's that's kind of a big piece of the grief is this readjustment to your life your new life without that thing so I think that's a big difference between the sort of the scale of it but I love that you talk about those things as tools and I think crying is so important but it definitely doesn't feel like it puts a dent in a major, major loss, you know, (laughs) that it can feel like it's not, you're not doing anything. But in my experience, you, it's, it's always good. It's sort of like eating your vegetables, you know, it doesn't feel like it's doing much in the moment, but it really adds up, you know, because if you don't cry, if you just choose not to cry or choose not to really think about it or deal with it for a long period, your body will start to feel that build up, you know, because it is, 
a bodily, physical thing, crying. It's not just a release of emotion. It's like your whole body is doing something that I don't think anyone really understands, but um, it's a process that kind of needs to happen. Yeah, and it feels that way. Yeah. Back to that earlier question that you love so much. (laughs) Was there another fork of that? Um, I think the third fork was about my judgment Hmm. for other people and for myself, I think, which is not something I think you directly taught me. In fact, listening to the podcast, like I have been really struck by the openness of your attitude about grief and the ways to process grief. Like, um, I don't know exactly where I picked up the the shoulds associated with like yeah a certain right way um but I think yeah just part of like learning a way of handling emotions from you that really worked for me on the scale of what I was dealing with I had a lot of ideas about what would work for everyone Mm. or what would always work for me yeah I mean, I think that judgment sometimes is just part of growing up because we, whatever we grow up with, the family we grew up in, the way we are grow, we are raised, we sort of immediately, or in our early life, we immediately kind of judge everything against that. So I can see why you'd be like, that's not the right way. <laughs> um, do you remember like expressing your fear to me about me dying or about losing me to cancer or something? Do you remember conversations we had? Yeah. Do you? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I know of at least a couple of conversations I had with both of you, you and Scops, because it is really natural for kids to say, like, what happened? You know, what if you die or what if something happens to you? Yeah. Um, and I would say something like, I'll always be with you in your heart or you don't have to worry, I'll always be there for you. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do really remember, like, I think I remember one time, um, specifically, after reading, like, the first draft of your memoir about... um, Not about Kiernan, but about my mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, just the way that you wrote about it really broke my heart and really made me think about being in your position. And I don't remember how old I would have been, but... Um, I, yeah, just like, I remember being really sad about that and talking to you about it. And, um, I think feeling a lot of space to feel that sadness until it didn't feel so overwhelming anymore. Um, but not, yeah, you never made me any promises. It it remains like in my head, just like, yeah, that is a really scary and sad possibility at all times. And I'm so grateful and lucky it hasn't happened yet (laughs) yeah yeah I feel the same way I mean honestly have being a parent is so scary because you realize oh my god what would I do if I lost this child like that any any moment of any day I can think about that and get myself worked up you know yeah (laughs) oh god yeah it's terrible it's terrible and that's the that's because we just love each other and that's because we also know that death is a possibility and I personally like living that way I like not pretending that's not true because I think when you do that it turns you off to the people it has happened to and I always want to be open to those people who around me who have lost somebody and to know that like 
I'm not afraid to talk to them. I'm not afraid to be around them um, because I'm not always turning away from that reality. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something like my relationship to our love and um, well, I'm not going to add anyone else in. Just <laughs> yeah, my relationship to our relationship has changed going away to school and forming all these other relationships that um, in order to really emotionally support myself and like lean on friends to process things that happened to me there and like just like live my life um, it just like strengthening all these other friendship bonds makes me feel acutely aware of like this other level of of support that you give me or just like feeling like another level of dependence or like a, like another level of ability to depend on you um i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say <laughs> but i think like i i i get older and i feel more aware of how special it is to have this kind of relationship and how irreplaceable it is like in any other part of my life which is i think something i've always known on some level mm. but i feel like i have more examples all the time Mm. um i'm really curious about that part of reading the book and that being um giving you a window i guess into what that could be like i mean were you too young do you think to think about like oh this is were you too young to not just immediately think about it for yourself or were you also thinking like oh this happened to my mom that must have been crazy, hard, whatever, sad. I think I was sad for you, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I was thinking about, like, oh, God, what if it happened to me? And I was thinking, like, that's so awful that that happened to you. Mm-hmm. It's just sad. I mean, the hardest part about writing that book, <laughs> well, there's a lot of hard things about writing <laughs> that book, but the hardest part is that, in a way, I wonder if I'm doing the, or trying to do the impossible. Um, I'm trying to make it so real that you really feel it and you're really like wow that is awful that is so terrible but because I don't see that in a lot of books where a parent dies it happens all the time I'm reading a book right now where the dad dies on page 10 and the young character is you know showing some signs of grief but it's not what to me having lived through something like that it it rings hollow and it always does when I read books where that happens and you know you could say well it's not really great for the plot to like (laughs) weigh it down with all this extra feeling but that's what I tried to do in the book and in a way the problem with that is that it does kind of bog you down it bogs down the character it bogs down the story you know um so I don't know it may be that it's impossible it may be that I can pull it off (laughs) (laughs) and really like do this thing that I really want to try and do but my point is that I don't want it to bog down anybody I want it to be more like no this is really what it's like and it's really a lot of things besides just sad you know yeah well that was also an early draft so yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll see we'll see I mean it's the same thing I'm trying to do here and maybe the podcast is a better way to do it to just talk about it in a way that's so that's really honest and clear and gives people a window into what this is like so that they can understand 
you know, what someone in their life might be going through or what someone in their life might have gone through. I think they serve slightly different um, purposes or like can be absorbed slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. I think the book is really important. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I love podcasts and I just love hearing people talk to each other. I like being in the room for a conversation that um, like someone allowing me into the room of a conversation. And I think uh, there's just I've watched this really resonate with a lot of people like it comes back to me all the time Mm. when I'm talking to people who know you and have listened just that it's exciting for everyone Mm. to be in the room for these conversations and I think like you just nailed something that like people struggle to talk about and so talking about it everyone is happy to listen Mm. yeah I mean I get so much out of every conversation And I agree. I feel like they're really special conversations because it's a topic we don't talk about, but I'm really here for it. I love asking these kinds of questions. I love the kind of conversation that happens. And yet it's a hard conversation to have at a party or it's a hard conversation to have on a hike. You know, it kind of needs this sort of space. And I feel like I'm so happy to invite people in because they feel really special. Yeah. Let me check the time. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm going to wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what we talked about. No, it's been really good. Okay. It's been really good. I like Um, the pencil part. (laughs) um, Okay. Last question. Mm -hmm. If you were my producer, my director, like working with my collaborator on this podcast, what would you suggest for the next season? any changes or like kinds of guests I should have on I'm going to take about a month off to kind of really get a good long guest list so I'm not like scrambling every two weeks um personally I'm like I want to invite more teenagers on the show more young people who have had a loss that was my first thought yeah 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 um I mean this is one of my favorite conversations already (laughs) I just thank you. <laughs> I just really love to talk love talking to people from your generation. I feel like you have so much more emotional intelligence than um, previous generations, and I find it fascinating. Um, yeah, I think you should talk to more young people too. I think um, the two well yeah that is like the demographic that i think deserves just like more individual voices mm-hmm. um if you can manage it and as i mean as your daughter like i just always think it's interesting knowing you and knowing the people that are like expected or like close friends who you've maybe had mm-hmm. some of these conversations with before it's exciting to see when you're like meeting someone through doing this mm-hmm. yeah um, which has happened more and more mm-hmm um so like random experts in different ways on the subject of grief or adolescent grief is also exciting yeah yeah another kind of whole vein i'm hoping to go in is researchers because there has been a fair amount of research in the last couple of decades and i want to reach out to those those people yeah i support that um I was going to say earlier, I also just, part of my relationship to listening to the podcast is being away at school and 
that's a really funny thing to get to hear your voice, mm. but we're not having an actual conversation. <laughs> right. And I just listen to you talk to someone else. There's something really comforting about that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when you DJ. I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> like listening to you DJing, and I'm like, it's like we're talking, but you're not talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we both have that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I loved talking with you about this. Thank you for having me. I've been waiting for my turn. <laughs> and I want to come back and ask you questions mm, okay. at some point. Okay, deal. Okay. <laughs>